What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Meran Podcast. Today, my guest is LJ Strenio. For the few of you that might not know LJ, he's a free skiing legend. Having filmed with companies such as Meathead Films, Level One Production, Poor Boys Productions, and Line Traveling Circus. He's also an X Games medalist and a super interesting dude. We discussed this year's X Games Real Ski Competition as he was one of the judges for the event. We also discussed a bunch of his Real Ski 2017 video where he won the bronze medal. We also talked about a lot of different subjects like the relationship that you have with your filmer, dealing with injuries, assessing risk and reward when you're going out in the streets and knowing when to stop. It was a really good chat with LJ and I hope you enjoy it. Big thank you to this episode sponsor, Axis Board Shop, J Skis, Tree Fort Lifestyles and Planks Clothing. Let's go. Mr. LJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm glad that you're coming on. Yeah, I've been a long-time listener, or I guess since since you started pretty much and enjoying the show, so it'll be cool to get to be a part of it. So what have you been up to lately? Right now you're in Portland, Oregon? Yep, I'm just getting home after <clears throat> uh, kind of a mega trip of traveling, which has been really tough this year, um, but I... Uh, been hitting way more urban than I expected for a 32 year old, which is how old I am now. Um, but I did did a long trip with uh, Tom Wallish and Tucker Fitzsimons hitting urban that uh, went more crazy than expected, but we got went went well. And then uh, I just did a long trip with the traveling circus guys uh, for for that until a friend tour, and that ended up being all urban as well, which is unusual for traveling circus. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to switch it up a bit though. Um, yeah, you're talking about still going hard at urban at 32. Tom is older than you and he's still going hard. Tanner just dropped a real ski segment at 37. What makes people still do urban in their thirties nowadays? Like we, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Yeah. Sky's the limit, baby. Um, I mean, we used to look, I used to look at like, like Jeremy Jones when he was like getting older and and like JP Walker, whoever doing stuff, just, we haven't had like the, there hasn't been that initial generation that has seen how far you can go. And if you're smart about it, you can definitely do stuff for quite a while. And I think also it's so fun. It's hard to, it's hard to move away from it. Uh, at least I think we're maybe the first generation of skiers who were strictly urban skiers. Uh, it's so new that there weren't people that were dedicated only to that before us really. So, I mean, I don't know how much more I'm going to do. I, like I said, I was surprised that I did as much as I did this year and that we went as hard as we did. But, uh, I mean, I think you could go for a while. I, I always, my running joke with Will Wesson and Tom Wallace is who's going to go longer. <laughs> and I think <laughs> one of them will definitely be in their forties hitting urban rails, which is a crazy, a crazy thing to imagine. But, uh, if I'm in my 40s and hitting Ruben, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what you hit. You know, if you do the, if you go the Cam Riley way, then it's definitely uh, something that you need to consider stopping because it's dangerous. But, and that's what's cool with you guys, like you and Will Wesson and Tom, is that you guys are so good at rails that if you're not doing something really, really consequential, it seems like you, you know how to fall. Like you're not, like I was filming with Belmar, like I told you this season. And he really impresses me of like, he doesn't fall. Like if you're not, 
he may go off early from the rail, but you guys have done it so much that you know, like you're, you're kind of cats on rails. You may drop early, but you're not yeah. going to get hurt. Well, knock on wood again, because it's still gnarly, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Learning to fall is ironically like a huge part of skiing, not just in urban, like in, in park and in like backcountry and stuff too. And yeah, Belmar is a good example because he's so damn good and has been forever. But I mean, yeah, you could be lapping, lapping a big park jump and be doing like some kind of dub where you're just kind of hip checking and sliding out because you're committing to it and you're not getting stuck in those dangerous zones upside down. But you can have some kid trying a three who, you know, is blind and ends up being, you know, maybe scorpioning because he's landing sideways and doesn't know how to like properly lean so that edge isn't potentially exposed to catch and kill him. There's a lot of wisdom, I think, also with you guys having done it so much. It's um, it's a bit like, you know, Tom Brady, who might not be as athletic as he was 20 years ago, but he has so much knowledge and experience that when he goes into a game, he compensates with that. So when you guys go into urban, maybe you're not as fit as you were uh, or as, um, you know, you're not 18-year-old LJ, but you've got a lot more things in your in your baggage. Yeah, when we, uh, on this trip, on this good company trip with Tom and Tucker, since obviously Tucker is like uh, the young guy and uh, he's, you know, he's crazy up and coming right now and he's putting together an insane part. I'm so excited to see. Uh, he's like one of my favorite skiers to watch right now. Um, but me and Tom were always giving him a hard time uh, just because a lot of the stuff you mentioned, uh, like this accumulated knowledge Um, he was wearing pole straps, hitting a couple of urban rails that we hit, which with urban, you never wear pole straps. Cause like in the park, there's like skirting and stuff. But like, if you have pole straps and you're like, you know, you come off a rail and you're like flying down a stair set and one of those poles gets caught in something, it's going to like yank your arm out of the socket. So we were like, you know, like lightly hinting to him at first, like, Hey, you should like, we don't wear pole straps. Maybe you shouldn't. And then eventually we're just like. Tucker, Tucker, don't wear pole straps, dude. It's sketchy. And he's like, oh, I like to wear them. And then I think like he was hitting like this gnarly, really big rail halfway through the trip. And it was one of those scenarios where you're like flying down a stairwell when you come off early. And he was like, oh, I see why you guys don't want to wear pole straps. Like my like poles were like bouncing all over the place, like right in my face. He's like, I'm not going to wear them anymore. And we're like, yes, <laughs> that is it. And it was pretty oh funny. My God. Yeah, that's something I, I never thought about the whole pole strap thing it's something though that as a filmer when i see people without their straps sometimes i just wish that they would cut it off because when you see a shot of someone doing something and there's the pole strap waving in the air it's like it turns me off so much yeah yeah you gotta grip it or or like will has like will just takes his pole straps off he doesn't i don't think he uses pole straps ever anymore just he hits so much urban but i agree mm. that's a very good point what's going on with good company are they putting together another movie I don't know exactly what they're doing, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, there's going to be some kind of Tom movie, good company Tom movie with, with homies. Uh, and there's going to be, there's definitely enough content for there to be this Midwest urban segment. Uh, we got a bunch of content. Uh, it was really fun skiing with those guys and it came out, like I said, surprisingly well, I was kind of going into it when Tom invited me, I was like, uh, I'll come, but I'm going to ski mellow. And then slowly but surely, the features started getting bigger and bigger. And then uh, got a couple clips that I'm pretty hyped on. Can't wait to put out. What was the motivating factor for you? Was it like Wallish um, motivating you 
like you saw him skiing and it was motivating you or was it more just once you get into it you just forget about um not going hard and you just go at it kind of more the latter uh just i've been like obviously easing back a little bit the last couple of years and trying to do more fun stuff and less crazy stuff pretty much since i stopped doing the real skis but it's still fun to do um and i guess the one feature in particular uh that i'm really excited about was just something that was really cool and because i like my whole mindset this year was like you know tucker will hit anything we roll up to like a perfect six kink and me and tom were like yeah we've hit six kinks and tucker's like dude think of all the tricks you could do like two switch ups on that and we're like yeah we've done two switch ups on six kinks before but this vibe so i've been thinking like what haven't i done or like what would be like a nice addition to like a career highlights reel is kind of my mindset mm -hmm. and this feature was like oh i've never done this no, i don't think anyone's done something quite like this like this is going to be very different and very wild and then obviously once i started hitting it it was like very rough and not not the most fun but i was very motivated just because i was like this is something that will will add to that career highlight reel style thing like this will this will this won't be just like another clip of something i've already done before that's a crazy point you you touched on is you and i well and yourself you're a bit older than me you know the whole skiing history like you started watching movies in the early 2000s and you're still super relevant nowadays not only have you done hundreds and hundreds of street spots but you also know what has been done so when a, a younger kid ne doesn't necessarily have that that history in mind you're like yeah well um Tom Wallish did that in 2008, so that's that's already done. How do you get? How do you still get creative or still stoked on doing urban when you know all that has been done? Uh, yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, that's one of the reasons some stuff doesn't excite me as much as it used to. Um, I think though, urban is like so crazy that there's like still so much crazy stuff that hasn't been done. Like if you look at the real skis this year, like so much. Like it's all, it's like all never been done stuff. It's, it's like skateboarding in a way that like, in the sense at least that like, it'll never, like, it'll never completely max out. Like maybe jumping will eventually max out. Like, I feel like once people are doing like five flips with like multiple spins in each, like there's going to eventually be like a hard barrier to like total root. Maybe there won't be, but it'll, it'll slow down for sure. I feel like, but urban, you can creativity is such a large aspect that like, it doesn't rely as heavily on like quantity of rotations. You can get like super creative with it. And I think that's cool. Like, I think it's like that step back from like the step style of, of urban, which was really sick and needed to push skiing and like the go hard perspective. But like, I feel like then it started getting more creative because you can't jump off stuff much higher than like Cam Riley's uh, parking garage thing. Yeah. But, but then obviously yeah. we've seen like a pushback in the other direction and I think it's going to keep, you know, the, the hand swings back the other way or whatever the saying is. Yeah. So I think that's what keeps it exciting and interesting for me is that there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And so there's a lot of stuff because I think novelty, like action sports are all about doing stuff that is new or hasn't been done or, or haven't, hasn't been thought of. And so I think urban's like a nice medium for that because you don't have to go bigger to do something that's really cool and has never been done. Yeah, you're right. I agree. And with the jump comparison is that what I think is 
for a certain trick, like let's say a triple 14, there will always be a perfect jump to do a triple 14. There's not like 25 variations of jumps. There's the classic nice jump. Whereas for, I don't know, a 450 on, then you could apply it to like a hundred types of street spots. So then for the same tricks, yeah. there's a lot of ways to to go about it. Right. And I think that's why backcountry parallels urban in a lot of ways. And when you see people wanting to like put a segment together, it's backcountry and urban because that jumping that like, I wouldn't, it's not even a critique of jumping. It's just a reality of like hitting perfect jumps and doing perfect tricks. Uh, I think backcountry kind of mirrors that like uh, lack of perfection and creativity aspect that you find when you're trying to like build a backcountry jump to do those tricks and it kind of brings that element back in and i think backcountry skiing will be less stale because of that com- compared to like park skiing it's like tanner's quote perfect this perfect that mm-hmm. and now it's time for a first sponsor break tree fort lifestyles is a company based out of oregon they've been involved in the ski industry since their inception in 2011 when they made their first pair of suspenders for skiing They produce some of the nicest accessories you can find out there for your adventure activities, whether you're going skiing, hiking, or traveling. I've worn their suspenders all winter, and I have to say I love them. They're stylish, and they're so comfortable you forget you have them on in the first place. Go check them out at treefortlifestyles.com and use code MEIRAN at checkout to get 15% off your order. Support companies that support skiing. Support Treefort Lifestyles. It's a good way of seeing it of when you're doing an urban rail, People might see it, people who've never done it might see a down rail and say, oh, uh, I could do uh, that trick that, that I do on the park. But anyone who's done urban knows that even if it's a down rail, it might be crooked, it might stick, it might be, it might look easy, but anything in urban is not easy. And it's it looks like it's the same in the backcountry where it might look like a nice booter, but the landing might be sketchy, the in-run might be sketchy. Yeah, there's always something... That's like guys like you, the filmer's job is to like, that's what's like the impossible job for you guys is to try to show as many of those imperfection, imperceivable imperfections that like can't be seen. And you're trying to highlight that all of the stuff that makes it more difficult, but you can never, you can never film all of it. You can never film that like the snow was extra sticky that day or like the rail like had some weird, like whatever, like abrasion on it that like the guy would catch up like only on this section of you know there's always little imperfections like Mm -hmm. you said yeah we did a six kink with belmar this winter and it was in aluminum rail oh did he go edgeless on it yeah exactly but the thing with the edgeless is that he was saying that himself is that it helps a lot but it's not magical like aluminum is still shit and that was the thing that I was struggling as a filmer is like, I knew he was having a fight with that rail. But at the same time, I was like, well, I can't really show that it's sticking. That's just something he's living through. But for people that don't like, it would almost take him saying beforehand, like, hey, I'm doing a six king aluminum. It's super sticky because if you just see the clip, it looks like a normal six king. But it was one hell of a shitty battle, let's say. You can never show it all. And like you said, like, yeah. There's just stuff that like the audience and if they're not in the know, they'll just it'll go over their head. That's the same with like the real ski edits and trying to judge them. We're like trying to figure out what that stuff is. But yeah, it sucks that like yeah, sliding edgeless will help with aluminum, but then, you know, metal edge on your skis also like helps you grip and balance and like it definitely just 
it's really hard to balance on an aluminum rail with no edges for sure. And it's definitely like a whole new, it's like a whole new challenge. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know how you, there, maybe there's some kind of creative ways, but there's just a lot of stuff that you just have to like let go and be like, I hope someone notices. <laughs> have you seen the latest uh, bunch movie? Is there a time for matching socks? Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, in there, there's two there's two specific spots where they take a two-minute break from the ski porn and they just show the behind-the-scenes of them saying, like, hey, that rail was gnarly for that point. Like, there's a transfer rail that Crypto Skier does. And Dude. they show that transfer and they, they take the time to take us through it. Like, look, it's six feet tall. It's six feet uh, wide of a gap. There's that thing and that thing. And I thought that was really cool of giving context because even though you might be super core. It's a five second clip. Like you might miss stuff. I'm like, I, the shot definitely blew me away, but then it reinforced it. Even like, I definitely was even more impressed for sure. After all of the, like them showing like the bleacher, you're talking about the one, like in the bleachers, right? Yeah. With like the, like the, the, the narrowness of the, of like, of the, like the down rail was lost on me for sure. Just having watched the clip. And then when they started talking about that, I was just, then it like started to impress me. Even that might be the most impressive urban clip in the whole movie. That was insane. Yeah. Also though, also the, I uh, forget, is it Magnus and someone else that other, the drop from the container, this, the, the one the snowboarders did too. that mm-hmm. one was also, this is probably the other one you might be referring to. Yeah. was also absolutely yeah. insane. And it looked like it slid very, very bad, which is like looks like the worst rail to have concern about how well it slides. And what I thought was really cool is that it shows that if you only see the the made, I don't know if you call how do you call that? If you only show the make where he gets the trick, you see Magnus and you're like, oh, uh, he's so good or whatever. And what I like about that part where they show the behind the scenes is that the point is not that that it's a matter of talent. Urban is a lot of mind game. You see him on top of the container thinking about it and seeing how he can get his mind around committing to that gap. Like he's saying, it's not like if I was doing a cork five, I think he says, if I was doing a cork five, I wouldn't be seeing what I'm doing. So I wouldn't be scared. Whereas the way I'm doing it, I'm seeing everything and it's scaring the shit out of me. Yeah, totally. I I like that part specifically too, because I could, that's very relatable what he was describing. Like if you ski enough park to have been in that, who've experienced that you can totally relate to that is definitely kind of a moment where you're like, yes, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. That seems terrifying, which I think what they were going for. They wanted it to be relatable, like maybe not relatable, but uh, understandable or like they want you to empathize, be able to empathize with them. Yeah. Same. It was something that that really stood out from any ski movies I had ever seen. Yeah. I think, I think it's the best movie they've ever made. Uh, They've been like, they've been, all over the place doing different kinds of stuff. But I think uh, they're just really talented and like, they obviously have like a unique style to a lot of stuff they do, but this was definitely, it was very well made. Well, what got me is just different ways. It was great cinematography from Payban and the other filmers involved. It was great skiing, but it was just a way of bringing it to life. Like, you know, they're, Payben told me they called that segment the health gang segment where they like throw fruits and everything. It's so yeah. random. It's such a thing that I would never think of doing, but it's so damn like it's super the bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear actually as like a, 
I would be curious to hear more of your take as like a from like a filmer aspect. It seemed like it was like their best year or like the, the cinematography seemed like it was very standout. Really? And I think it's the same compliment that I gave him for um uh for his real ski of this year, which is really a personal thing, but it was really the editing that let the cinematography shine. You know, in his real ski, there's a lot of slow shots, but it gives time to appreciate the cinematography. Like yeah. sometimes you may have a really great shot, but if your editing is super quick, then you're you're just not getting the time to see it for what it is. Yeah. Like yeah, agreed. One of my favorite shots is um Alex Hackle's switch five hand drag to revert. Dude, the, the first the first clip yeah. where with the with the dude, I was just gonna say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's the the in-run shot and you see a church and you're just like oh that's a nice beautiful shot of the church but then he comes into frame that that's like such a nice shot it's beautiful and now it's time for a second sponsor break planks is a british outerwear brand founded in the french alps yeah you can ski in the uk but you probably wouldn't but these guys are still passionate about skiing and as someone from quebec i definitely relate to that they don't just make high quality good looking gear that's affordable they care about the free ski culture too, running grassroots events and sporting skiers that are some of my favorites like Woodsy, Lupe Haggerty, and the Real Skifi crew. Make sure to check them out at planksclothing.com. Support companies that support skiing, support Planks Clothing. So yeah, I guess we can move into the, the Real Ski 2021 because you were a judge with Mike Hornbeck, yep. Kai Crapella, J.F. Fool, and Tom Wallish. Yep. Uh, tell me about it. Tell me all about it. What was your experience like? What was it looking at the videos the first time? Which one was your favorite? Yeah, it's interesting. I really like the judging is all always all over the all over the board from the start of this contest. So I really like that it's all athletes now who I, I do pre, I do understand like the the aspect of having someone who films be a judge because that's a huge part of it. I think having all athletes is and you know we can still we st we aren't like completely ignorant to the filming, uh, but I think having all athletes is a uh, is like a good thing to to do for this contest specifically. It's interesting because even though we all have been past athletes in the contest and all have been hitting urban for years and years and years before this was even a contest, we still always not only don't see eye to eye, but bring up things that other people didn't see, which is always interesting. And I think speaks volumes to like how wild urban skiing is and how like varied it can be um do you have an example of that i this year someone didn't notice you know so we did one of our talks before we had all watched them a bunch of times we hadn't decided anything yet but one of our initial talks we had done someone didn't even notice the the first hackle clip was so well done that it didn't even i can't remember who it was didn't even realize like where did the car go? It didn't, it was like over their head. They were like, Oh yeah. Like he was behind a car. It was so smooth that yeah. they didn't even notice that like the camera, like, uh, I just remember they were like, Oh wait, he was towing him behind a car. And then did the car go through the hole? Like it was after like a first couple of watches and they were like, Whoa, mind blown. Uh, and then like actually pay in his, in his real ski that he won silver. It took me like, five or ten watches before i noticed that he did this two on that his tips went i think his tips go under you know when the tips go under on yeah. like when he's getting onto that one rail yeah his tips go uh, in between two rails that's what it was so yeah. it does like a 
270 on in be- nose in between two rails. Yeah, it took me a long. I'm like embarrassed how long it took me to to see that. And we actually had talked about it once. And I was like, I think maybe I didn't even say anything when we were talking about it. But I was like, oh man, I didn't notice that at all. I was like, and that's when I started watching these. Like, I do like slow mo watches now. I do like we watch them a bunch of different ways. And I do like a slow mo run where I watch all of them in like super slow mo now. Uh, I just try to watch them like every aspect possible, which is maybe debatable whether you should do it because it's not the intended viewing uh, that the that they want you to see it. But I want to like you know you want to get every little detail. Um, but I don't hopefully miss anything that obvious. I mean, it was still very <laughs> sneaky, but yeah, there's a lot of things to be missed. Like every time I watch it with someone who isn't as knowledgeable as I am, like someone not as core who just enjoys uh, park skiing. I always feel like I need to chime in every two seconds to say like, hey, take it like notice he's going to do that that way. That's super tough because there's so much fine details. Like last year, Mango had in his part a 270 on pretzel where he was same thing. He was putting his skis in between a really narrow spot and he was basically sliding with the tail end of his skis. Yep. And that's something so gnarly. Like if you just look at it quick, it's a 270 on pretzel. But the way he does it, it's not only was it never been done before, but it's I've never seen that. I've never, ever seen that. Or maybe Will did it at some point. He probably did because he's crazy. But No, I think I think you're right. I know the clip you're talking about. And it's interesting, too, because that's a good example of something that hasn't been done. But it's it's obviously like influenced or like I think derivative sometimes has a negative connotation but it's like influenced or derivative of like other stuff similar that's been done but that specific thing hasn't been done which i think is cool to like to see how things have been influenced uh but that clip in particular was was really sick that also think saying derivative and the negative connotations reminded me too that it, it definitely bums me out that i think this contest is like one of the coolest things in skiing and like It sucks like going on new schoolers and seeing an article about instead of being like, oh, like this dude got first and this dude got second. There's like the whole article is about like how controversial the third place was like, did you you guys think they got third place? It's like, I don't know. Everyone loses their mind that like it's all it's all this negativity and it's all about people are just critiquing and critiquing, critiquing these. I mean, I understand that's part of the contest, but it's funny that. Uh, you know, you would never see a slope style event where the whole article is about how, like, like how bad third place, like if they screwed up first place for sure. Like I, like the Henrik knucklehuck thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was about to say. But, but like, I don't know, like it's, it's for, for something that's so subjective, urban is like probably one of the most subjective parts of the sport to like, have the, have the whole thing be about like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I hate the negativity involved. Like I critiquing is definitely obviously inherent to judging an event like this, but like all the negativity involved is, I don't, I don't know. It's still like some of the comments when, when I did my first one and obviously there was like some, I still sometimes see, and it's always so flattering that people are like, Oh, like LJ should have done better. Uh, some of the negative comments in just in defense of the other persons were like, still like, are still like such a a knife in the ribs like yeah i really agree with you that there's a lot of negativity and that's something that i think is a bit of a bummer because the reason in my mind the reason real ski is a competition 
is because there was 10 years of positivity leading up to it. Everything that that was made was received with positivity. Everyone was stoked. Like if you look back at segments from Step being put online uh, seven years ago, eight years ago, it has 100,000 views. And that was because people were spreading positivity and being stoked on it. Whereas nowadays, it seems like, yeah, people, I don't know if it's being entitled or being... um, I don't know what's the good wording of it in English, but having too much good stuff where you're kind of losing uh, kind of appreciation for how much people are putting out and the effort that's put in it. Yeah. Um, that was one of my thoughts seeing that is that if real ski stops one day, it'll be because of that. Because I, I imagine myself being a producer at ESPN and seeing the news coolers comments, which are supposed to be like the core of the sport. And you see everyone's like not really stoked. So you're like, well, why are we doing this? Yeah. What I think is that sometimes it's a, a matter of like a silent majority, or maybe there's a minority of people who are really picky, but you don't get to see that there's a majority of people who are really stoked, but they're just not going and writing a comment on the internet, you know? Yeah, I think you're really right about that. I mean, that's the case with, they say that's the case with all sorts of stuff you see on the internet, uh, you know, even outside of skiing, like political political arguments online and stuff too. And I know it obviously the shift in the the contest format shift didn't help either, obviously. I got a bunch of DMs from kids being like, You screwed up. Why why did you take it from like an urban contest to an everything contest? I'm like, you think you think me, who is like pretty much only an urban skier for the last like ten years, who like bleeds urban, you think I was the one that was like, hey ESPN. You know how you guys have this awesome urban contest that I was stoked to do twice? Yeah, you guys should make it like a not urban contest. And now it's time for another sponsor break. Axis Board Shop is a ski and snowboard shop based out of Saint-Sauveur, Quebec, Canada. They've been in business since 2002 and have supported skiing since day one. From sponsoring numerous athletes to putting on competitions to helping out movie productions, they've done it all. Axis is the core board shop and they've got everything that you might need this season. Check them out at accessboutique.com or go check out their shop in Saint-Sauveur. Support companies that support skiing. Support Access Board Shop. That makes me laugh going on new schoolers when I see people have theories, but they, they're phrasing it as, it's, as if it was facts. They're like, yeah, I think, yes, well, it's not, I think it's ESPN did this because of that. And you're like, oh, so you're in the know, like you... Uh, I, anyways, there was like peop- someone saying, yeah, Tanner won the bronze because he's on Armada. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, tell me about that conspiracy theory. I want to know about the Armada Illuminati. Yeah, I read, dude, I read, especially in the winter, I'm definitely reading all of that stuff too. And I read all of those theories too about why Tanner got third and they're all wrong. There is no, like the dude that runs, the dude that runs Real Ski is also the same dude who runs like a ton of these different events. It's Chris Schuster, and he is the man, and he is like such an advocate for our sport, and he has to work with these people that know nothing about it and convince them that like we're worth it's worth it to put on these events for us and stuff. Like it's it's a struggle every year. Like people take it for granted, but like this contest is not guaranteed. <clears throat> like it could go away for sure, and he is like mm-hmm. working his butt off to make sure that it still happens, and sometimes that means like making concessions and making it a non-urban contest maybe but it's better than not having anything at all um but anyway yeah like 
there he there's no strings attached there. Like he doesn't tell us what we have to do. Like we don't call all the shots either. You know, like we're not the only ones involved with like the athlete selection, as you could maybe imagine. There's some stuff there, but we are a big part of it. Um, but sometimes there's like there's other people stepping in and. But as far as like the judging is concerned, I don't think he, you know, he was there when we were judging, but I don't think he said a word. He, he, like the judging is exactly what the judges somewhat agreed upon. It's not what we all wanted, but like it was the consensus we came to. There's no, there's no like, yeah, there's no conspiracy here. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious. Uh, how do you guys go on a decision? Does it has to be? Does it have to be unanimous? Uh, how does it work? No. So that's why a lot of podiums have been something that no one wanted, but everyone compromised on. Which is why sometimes it ends up being <clears throat> kind of strange because you're never going to get unanimous vote where everyone like agrees on something. So sometimes, sometimes it's literally like. I think this person should be in last place and someone's like, I think he should be in first place. And if no one can agree upon it, then you get this podium that no one wanted, but is like a compromise in the middle where they're like, all right, well, what if we give him third? And then both people are like, I guess I can live with that. I'm not saying that's the case with Tanner here at all, but that has been something that's happened in the past. Um, So there's, it's tough. There's no, we don't have like this perfect framework about how we do it. So we look at it from like a lot of angles and then we just kind of see how the cards lie. And again, it's super subjective because when it was just a urban contest, there's the type of feature you hit. Is it creative? Is it consequential? Is it big? Is it technical? Is there variety? Are you doing stuff that you've been doing for 10 years? Are you pushing yourself? Is the filming good? Is the editing good? There's so many variables. And then again, there's the whole thing, as you said, that it's subjective. Every judge has their own background and their own things that they like. So, And then you bring in the factor that you can put park skiing and backcountry skiing or like any type of skiing you want, really. Yeah. When they, so the, the, change to, the change to being not all urban actually came super late. We had a whole lineup picked of urban guys that we were going to invite and we're like ready to lock it in. And then, uh, and then some things changed at a higher level at ESPN. Uh, again, I don't know how much is supposed to be private information or not. So I won't go into like the details, but, um, at no fault to Chris's or ours, uh, it turned out that it was going to be not an all urban contest. And so the athlete roster had to change a ton, uh, there were some really exciting urban people that we were going to have in it that were like confirmed that didn't end up getting to be in it. Uh, that would have been really sick to see. I mean, I guess without saying any names, we can say like, I can say like people that we were like discussing, like, uh, like Belmar was definitely in the discussion. Like Will Berman was in the discussion for years and like always like a bummer that he didn't go in. And then like, uh, one of the real ski fee guys, uh, uh, is he, I always, I hope I don't say his name wrong, but it's Yuho. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Kilke. I met him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I met him. Uh, I met him a couple times, I think, but I'm a huge fan of his too. And, uh, he was very much so in the discussion. Um, 
And there's other like legacy people, like some of the first year, like the first year I judged, we were talking about like Dale Talkington. Like if you, you, you must know, you've like watched along enough that his urban is like from back in the day was so sick. And if he had been doing stuff the last couple of years, it'd be sick to see him in like guys like Cal Carson. Like how has he not been in this contest yet? And like, and like, I would love to see Dylan Manley. I'm a huge fan of his too. I would love to see him go in. There's like, I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on and like all tons of these tons of like the Euro guys too, that, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There's like a million people and, and a lot of them, a lot of people I haven't mentioned also will probably get invites in the years to come. Yeah. It's a hard thing to squeeze in all those people. Cause there's only six people that can be invited. And yeah, it's a harsh thing because that's always something that I found really a bummer is that you need to give people their chance to participate but also looking back at silver medalists like JFO, Emil Bergeron, uh, Antti Olila, Payben, they all made extremely good videos. And I was like, oh man, they're not going to come back next year. Dude, I think about that too. When like, yeah, sometimes you can just get one shot and then you like are never going to see a real ski from them again. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy because of that. I remember what I was going to say. This might seem like a tangent now, but, uh, the, the change in the format, uh, well, and, and judge, we were talking about judging a little bit in the change of the format when, when, when we were told that that was going to happen, it was really late. It was like in December, maybe that we found out that, or no, 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 it must've been before that. Cause they were probably already filming by then. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we discussed it and I was like, we're going to have this apples to oranges scenario, no matter what, if you have a contest where, we're comparing a potentially all street segment to a potentially all backcountry segment. There is like not enough of a common link that we can like effectively judge it. And I was like, do does ESPN know that we're going to have this, this task of potentially judging two videos against each other that are not comparable at all. And it was just like, it, it was just, yeah, that's going to be, that's probably going to be the case and you'll just have to deal with it. And that's mm -hmm. kind of some of what went along with, with our judging this year um, with Tanner's edit and cause I know that's the controversial one. Um, and, and just like looking forward with the contest because I feel like people didn't get the memo when these were ESPN maybe should have, or maybe didn't realize how important it would be to advertise to people. That this is not an urban contest anymore. Real ski, real street ski or whatever is no longer a contest. It's dead. Like that's what people, mm -hmm. if people want to win the mindset with like that contest ended and ESPN is now holding a new contest by the same name, real ski, but it's now just, it's just a video contest. I feel like Ferdy's wouldn't have gotten so much. I feel so bad that his got so much hate. I was a huge, I was, I was a, I was a fan of his. Um, I actually, I was worried they were going to use it cause he got, he got, he got talked trash on for having that part clip. But in my interview before anything was released, one of my critiques was like, I wish they, I wish he put more. I was like, it was random to have one part clip. He's such a good park skier. I wish he put more part clips in his. Cause I was like, this isn't real street anymore. This is make a video. And I was like, what is Ferdy good at? He's damn good. at. We didn't invite him cause he's an urban skier. I know like he's, we've obviously seen Capiche and stuff and like, he's good at urban, but like he is known as like a park skier mm -hmm. and like part of him getting invited was like, if we invited him as an urban skier over some of the other urban skiers out there, that's like a huge disservice to like 
to them. We put him in because we want to see what he's good at and like his interpretation of a video contest. And then obviously the athletes weren't sure exactly what to do. And, and obviously all of these people talking on the internet are like, that's not an urban edit. It's just, I want to be like, it's not an urban contest. I, I want it to be, I wish it was, but we can't think of it like that. And when Tanner has a bunch of backcountry that's really sick, we can't, I'm not going to like, we can't like discredit it because it's not urban. And now it's time for another sponsor break. Jace Keys is a company based out of Burlington, Vermont. Their business model of making limited edition graphics keys that are sold online directly to consumer is super dope. As a fan of original graphics, I love it. They put a lot of effort into making great skis, but also in making them look super good. I finally had the chance to try out my vacation skis this spring and I gotta say I love them. They were so playful that after shooting a jump I had to go in front of the lens and hit it myself. Knowing how much time and effort Jason Leventhal and his team put into each ski they produce, I'm really looking forward to their upcoming releases. Support companies that support skiing. Support J-Skis. The way I saw it when JF told me that it would be all around was it's as if you were judging a pipe run versus a slope run. When you do the comparison of a whole backcountry segment versus a whole street segment, you're right. It's it's really hard to judge. It's how can you judge Tanner's triple backflip in the backcountry versus Hackle's a 16 kink blindside switch up? Yeah, <laughs> you can't. Well, it, it it gets into really nitty, nitpicky stuff, and I think a big factor that people had for um, Ferdy is the work that goes in and that's sometimes a bit of unfair i don't know if it's unfair but you know building a backcountry booter to do a triple backflip you know that there's days involved to build it and for let's say uh, alex hackles uh, blind switch up you know that it was a battle and i think there's something when people see a park jump that they're like oh okay you went kind of the easy route True. and it's not because of the trick. Like I think it was a right side dub bio 14 blunt, like crazy trick. But it's just the fact of saying, oh, okay, you were at a resort. The jump was already built. Yep. Valid, uh, very valid critique from, from that point of view, for sure. I mean, I, I, I do agree with you to that, asp- to that point. But also sometimes, sometimes stuff just doesn't... I think it's a metric you need to consider, but not one... I mean, sometimes stuff just doesn't take as long. I feel like that's something you should consider. But if if something is sick and it didn't take and it wasn't a lot of work, then I feel like it shouldn't necessarily take away from it. But it is something that I think should be considered. It's tough. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough because even in urban, because a park jump is just a big sign of saying it was easy, quote unquote, like the jump was already built and everything. You you had a chairlift to get you up. You weren't hiking. But in urban, you you don't know when you see a shot. Sometimes it might have taken you 30 minutes and other times three days. That's just an unknown. Yeah, you're right. Going back, circling back to the point about urban being like backcountry because you have to do it yourself. I guess park definitely lacks that aspect. You're right. You It's not something you create created entirely on your own. That's a That's like a valid critique for sure. Well, it's it's not even a critique. It's more like trying to see where people were coming from. Like I get, I get them. Like someone uploaded on New Schoolers a version of his part without that shot, and people were like, "Oh, that's so dope!" So it's like 
Yeah, like we like just echoing what we said a million times already. It's so subjective and it's tough to like as soon as you I think the thing that makes it so cool is that it's not meant to be judged and then we started judging it. Uh and it's cool like X Games is X Games is like the end all for our sports. So it's so cool that they've let us they've recognized that it's so important and included it, but also it's also kind of a little bit soul sucking in the same way of like having free skiing, which is the sport that was supposed to be the anti Olympics, go into the Olympics. I think it's really cool that skiing's in the that free skiing's in the Olympics. I also think it's really cool that street skiing is in the X Games. But both of them are slightly counterintuitive to the initial uh, like vibe or soul of like what the sport is supposed to be about. So it's it's a little it's slightly contradictive, but. I think it's less contradictory for the X Games part because it's the root of the sport and you can still be true to what you think free skiing is. Like uh, Payben and Hackle didn't put 15 clips. They put nine. They they did their thing and they did, they, they did the whole direction of the video how they wanted versus when you're in the Olympics, you got to stick to the team program and stick to the drug test or whatever. So... I don't mind the X Game Real Ski Contest, like the whole corporate thing. I think it's really the, the, the best thing that could happen to street skiing. If you want to do it, you have a platform to maybe win big money and have big exposure, and then no one's forcing you to do it. Like if you want to do your, your solo project and put it on YouTube, you can still do it. I, I agree with you. I It's been so good for the sport. It kind of just sometimes it feels like taking like a Monet painting, a Salvador Dali painting, and a Picasso painting. And then putting them in a contest and ranking them from best to worst. It's like, oh, they're all so good. I don't want to. But but I think it, you're right. It's more about the platform that X Games provides in having people see them. And we just we just get caught up in people get caught up in the in the, in the part that should matter less, which is the the placements. But I think you're right. Like I think X Games is this huge platform, and for them to recognize it as the big part of the sport that it is, is overall like a really good thing. And I hope it keeps going, man. I hope too. Question for you. We talked a lot about the serious thing of judging the contest. I want to ask LJ the skier and LJ the ski fan, how, what was your favorite video? What made you uh, hype? Uh, I mean, I like different ones for different things, which I know is kind of a cop out. Uh, I chose A Halls as an overall. I think A Halls was A Halls was insane, but I think maybe like the urban skier in me maybe likes Hackles better. Um, I know that's kind. Of, it was between those two, very tough for me. Uh, I ended up. I, I think I think A Halls is my favorite, just because it's just so crazy and technical and insane. Hackles too, man. And also some of, of like the other ones, like Lupe's I thought was really sick too. I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's it's even now it's tough to like choose just one that you love. I like different ones for different reasons. Like I am, I, I've loved Hackles. Edit. I, I loved Hackles edit last year too. Like I got crazy goosebumps watching his edit last year. Uh, and this year was like a step up in so many ways too. Um, but I guess I've always been like a tried to be like a technical, or at least in the past, somewhat of like a technical urban guy. And a halls was like so many crazy technical wild things. Yeah, I'll just um, rephrase that for you. 
you're saying somewhat of a technical guy. I'd say one of the most technical guys ever. Thank you. I I wouldn't say you're the most creative or the most like the guy who, who goes the biggest, but in terms of technicality, man, you're like, <laughs> I, I wish like I wish companies like Meatheads would put out their movies from back in the days because you did stuff in like 2008, maybe with Meatheads that would still be bangers in a real ski in 2021. Thanks, man. Yeah, but that's one. That's another thing we always think about. I, I always think about is like when I started doing this, there was no X Games real ski. We were just <laughs> we weren't getting anything out of it. We just thought it was really cool. Uh, but to, so that like it was all about having people stoked on it. So to have you say that is really flattering and makes me stoked because that's like Urban was always filming in general. It's always about having people who can appreciate it and which is sm- can be like a small number of people, but like having someone like you who is very knowledgeable about it say something like that is makes me like super stoked to hear. So thank you. Thank you for uh, for en- entertaining us for so for so long. <laughs> Like I, I, I posted uh, on Instagram a photo of you filming with me, Ted's doing a dub 12 over a whale sculpture. I remember seeing that back in the days, like at IF3 and everyone was like shouting, like not believing what they saw. And just posting that, that photo earlier, I was like, yeah, that could be a ender in a real ski this year. Like, what are your thoughts on that? On the, no, but it's it's on one side a compliment, but on one on the other a question for you of there's stuff that don't there's the whole thing of things that that have been done before, but there's also the whole thing of there's some stuff that that will be all time. Like you could do it in 2030 and it'll be a banger. Or like like Hackle did a dub seven this year, last year Mango did a dub twelve, and I was like looking back at that photo and I remember vividly that shot. That was gnarly, man. Yeah, it's it's funny to it's funny to frame things like that. And those are the kind of clips that I think it's really in a sport that is like constantly evolving. I think it's really tough to have stuff that would like stand the test of time, kind of like I think you're saying. Uh, and you never really know, you know, you don't plan them to happen. And then kind of you look back. It, it's when you look back like retrospectively like that and think like, oh, that that still seems like pretty cool, even though the sport has progressed so much since then. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like those kind of clips just kind of happen on their own. And uh, it's cool to, it's cool to like look back. I don't even like, it's so hard to even like remember, like I just remember like little vignettes from that day. I remember like Ross and Berger hitting his head on the whale tail. Cause he didn't clear it once and got super concussed and had to go to the hospital. Uh, but <laughs> and we were like asking him, I was like, what day of the week is it? Or I was like, Ross, where did you grow up? And he was like, uh, uh, Tuesday. Like he really wanted to keep skiing, but he had a really bad, really bad concussion. And like, he was just like, so out of it. But, uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I just, I, yeah, I feel like you have all these shots. It's just, it's like any other clip that you get. And some of them resonate with people more than others. And then years later, it's, it's sick to like, to like be like, oh, that that clip was one that a lot of people remember, and it was like ended up being iconic or something else for this reason or for that reason. Uh, it's it's cool to have there. You don't get a lot of those, I guess, and so and you don't really get to choose them, which is funny too. So to look back and you know to have people, I posted that same clip you're talking about like a week ago because uh, the photographer Dan Brown 
Uh, I just saw him recently and it was the 10 year. It was exactly 10 years to the day when I posted it, I guess when he posted it and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And a bunch of people DM'd me, uh, showing me like it up on their wall still, uh, or just saying some kind of little story about it. And so I think like we were saying, like, uh, having people stoked on the stuff you did was what it's all about. And so I think it's, that's the best part of it is having, having a bunch of people shoot me DMs being like, dude, I that shot was like amazing. I remember seeing it for the first time. Like uh, when you start to think that you're getting old and you're not going to do this for much longer, maybe to have to know that you maybe positively influenced other people's enjoyment of skiing or, or something is like very, very satisfying. You definitely did. And that's something that I think might be cool is that in a lot of sports, there's such an evolution that um, I'd say if someone who did maybe, let's say someone 20 years ago whose best trick was a 900, who's criticizing someone who's doing a triple 18, then the guy who's doing a triple 18 might say, yeah, well, fuck off. Like you never did half of what I've done. Well, and that's something great that I, when I think about you and Wallish and JF being judges is like, you guys have said I've said the ultimate urban standard of like if someone does a a so-so shot, then you can actually critique them because you're like, but I did I did like you know there's some technical spot uh, tricks on rails. I remember you doing maybe in 2009 a, on a super long down rail a front side switch up to front side switch up pretzel two out, which is like. I don't know why I have that exact shot in mind, but it, that's something that I remember back in the days and still to this day stands the test of time where you can say like you were amongst the, I don't know. My my point for that is no one can say like, oh, uh, a old man, 32 year old LJ, like you don't know what you're talking about. You can be like, yeah, yeah I know what I'm talking about. And I think we bring different stuff to the table too, but yeah, I think it's good to have people that have who can really understand and empathize and have been there themselves and like to have us judging rather than, you know, some very valid selections for judges that maybe have never hit an urban rail before. Uh, Cause you can, I think, yeah, like what to, to like your point to what you're getting at kind of like, you can have someone who's watched every clip ever and is like, like a connoisseur of urban skiing and has seen every clip. But if you've never like, even just done like a simple two onto an urban rail, not a park rail, but an urban rail, like even just that onto like a basic urban rail is so different than, and you see it sometimes too, when you have some, like sometimes you have really good park skiers go out and try to hit urban, like some of the best contest guys I've seen hit urban and get absolutely wrecked just because mm -hmm. it, it does bring something, something more difficult that unless you've done it, you don't, might not quite understand. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Some of the best park skiers I've, I've ever known had trouble doing urban, while some of the best urban skiers I've known were not necessarily the best park skiers. Yeah, that's an interesting... Well, that just... Yeah, a lot of it is like the from that stepped quote, like a lot of urban skiing is like not actual skiing. There's so much other stuff involved. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. but it's, it's true. Uh, there's so much more to it. And the point is, in park skiing nowadays, let's say you can do a 8-10 on, but then when you get back to urban, that's not the point. Like, you're not going to do an 8-10 on. You're going to do something that, that's more of a smaller trick, and the goal is not necessarily the trick. It's more not hurting yourself and getting to the end of the rail. It's a, it's a different game. Yeah, totally. So one thing that I really wanted to ask you is, 
you started doing urban what like in 2005 maybe around those years yeah i would say like yeah more or less maybe a little earlier but just for fun yeah so let's say around 2005 and in 2021 you're still going at it and you seem like one of the most like passionate guys or like really who's hyped up and and happy to do it on one side you've done it for so long that some people might like uh, be burnt out at that point. And the other side, you haven't lived the more like luxurious pro skier lifestyle. Like you, you haven't had that Red Bull money behind you, right? So I have not. <laughs> so how does LJ, like, let's say in 2017, when you got invited to real ski, you still went as hard as you might have went 10 years before that. How do you get that, like that flame still in you? Uh, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. because uh, that's a really, really good question. because I talk about this a lot with my close friends. Um, cause actually I was, that's the year I'm back. I'm just about to finish uh, grad school right now. I've been back in school since that 2017, since 2017. Um, and that was the year I decided to go back to school because I kind of was losing that flame a little bit. Um, I competed very unproductively when I was younger and you know I was like super into slope style but just not very good at it and then after like the Olympics came and went and I realized that like I definitely wasn't gonna go uh and wasn't really cut out for x games um I started to just have fun in film in like the years a couple years with level one like I think small world was one of them Um, we just went on like a bunch of powder trips and I didn't hit like a ton of urban, but I hit a good bit and I was starting to just taper off, I guess. Not that I was going to quit skiing. I still, I love it as much as I ever have, but uh, I didn't have like motivation. I didn't have like the right motivations, I guess. So when X games real ski came around and I didn't get invited, um, and I had never been in X games. That was like a big career goal of mine to be in some kind of X games event. I didn't really care about a medal. I just wanted to be recognized as like an X games person, just because when I was 10 years old, that was, you know, that was like the dream. So I think as soon as I didn't get invited and then will won gold and Tom put out also and JF and I mean, they all put out like crazy edits, but I guess the guys that I'm like close with were in it and doing well. Um, it just like lit a fire under me and I, I filmed a bunch of urban that year in hopes of getting in. And then I started school and submitted to all the judges. You know, if you want to be in this contest, if anyone's listening, like you should be doing everything you can to be in it. Like there is no set path to how you get invited. And I had no idea, but I, in 2016, I went about filming this, at this like audition tape, uh, just with the plan of sending it to all of the judges and hoping not knowing whether the judges were the people selecting athletes or how it worked. And I just sent that video to like anyone who I thought was associated with it. And then went, started to go back to school and was like, yeah, things are slowing down for me, but this would be like one last thing that I would love to do. And then of course I found out I was in my math class and I found out I got invited and I had like, If you, I don't know if you watched the broadcast this year with me talking with Lupe about him getting invited while we were surfing and I filmed it. And the reason I thought to film it was because I remember exactly where I was and what was going on when I opened the email and read that I was going to be an X Games real ski. And like, that was a bigger deal to me than like winning a medal or, or like anything else. Like is like 
it's a huge deal as a skier, I feel like. Um, so just, I think the opportunity to be in some kind of X Games event and potentially win a medal just like lit a fire under me. And like, that's the hardest, I would say I was like getting weaker and weaker as a skier from like 2014 to 2017. And then when I got that invite, that's the hardest I've ever skied. I don't know if it was when I was at the best of my skiing. I think I was starting to get a little, I've definitely, my skiing has decayed slowly and I've had to get more creative the last few years. But regardless of whether my skiing was starting to drop off yet, it was definitely the hardest I've ever skied. And uh, I think just that opportunity, that's why like, yeah, I hope X Games Real Ski keeps going because like listen to me rant about how excited I was to get to do it. Uh, even though I was like starting to to mellow out. Yeah, well, y you have a great point. Going back to X Games as a platform is that forget about the TV show on ESPN, forget about the money. That's something really cool, as you were saying, is something to look forward to. You know, as filmmakers back in the day, IF3 was a platform to look forward to. We weren't getting paid. We weren't getting anything really when we look at it rationally. It was just an event a platform to look forward to and at the end of the day it was a cinema packed and you know a showing that's it but it was something it's you know and that that was enough for us and maybe that gets lost it's good that these younger kids have like the aspiration to be an x games real ski but it's good to remind them too that like hey we didn't have like we were going just as hard as you were for our time like for our time when we were your age and we didn't have like x games to go to we did it because we loved it you should you should be doing this because you love it too. But I think it's also a good point too. Like, I think it's really cool that X Games gives medals to the filmers because I think you guys are so underappreciated with what you do. Uh, obviously, we were just talking about, uh, you know, this this like filming contest that you were, you were doing recently. And like, it sounds like you put in like a lot of work uh, to make that happen. And I think it is something, you know, the athletes... We, you know, we complain about the skiers getting under-recognized, but what about these filmers that are out there, like, all day, like, working just as hard? Obviously, you don't have the chance of getting injured, but, like, man, like, Jake, my filmer, he worked his butt off in some crazy cold temperatures, but it's really cool that he can say he's an X Games medalist. And, like, yeah. probably something that gave up on very early on as a kid, you know, when he started filming and still loved skiing, but was like, hey, I'm never going to be in X Games. Well, it's cool that he found another avenue and now he's he's got that hardware. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I was giving major props to Payben for, is that urban skiers, you know, the, the common denominator for urban skiers a lot of the time is going at it 110%, giving it your all, like, in terms of shoveling for a day, trying it for two days, uh, risking injuries. And what I loved about Payban is simple things like doing follow cams because people might not know, but if Hackle tried it 200 times, then that means Payban hiked up with his glide cam and everything 200 times. And yeah, as you said, it's, there's no risk of getting injured, but man, that's dedication. And that's something that I respect a lot of him doing, like taking the energy to put in as much effort as the skier. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think it's so cool that that Payben has multiple medals from both sides of the camera. I think it really speaks to how talented he is. And that closing shot in particular, 
how many times they had to hike that. And what if he screwed the shot up? Can you imagine? Like, what, what if he screwed the shot up, dude? Can you imagine? Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> and that's something he was telling me, <laughs> yeah. is that he had an agreement with Hackle of saying, hey, this year, we both can mess up. Like, I'm going to try as much as you're trying stuff on skis that you might mess up. I'm going to try stuff behind the lines that I might mess up. So we got to both like be okay with each one messing up. But that, and that's crazy because that's like the ultimate of what filmmaking and skiing is about to me is like both sides trying to do the best thing they can, like not only in front of the camera, but also behind it. Yeah. And, and think about it, think about it from this way, like, like, oh, we both can't mess up. Think about it this way too. The film, the, the urban skier gets to fall the urban skier gets to fall over and over and over again. And then the filmer has to perfectly film every single one. Like the filmer can't miss a single shot. Like the, you know, the filmer's not yelling at the athlete if they don't get the rail, like first or second or 50th try. But if the filmer doesn't get it on the try that the athlete does, like you're done. You're, you're never fit. Like it's game over. Yeah, <laughs> it's so that- unfair. Well, it's the name of the game. And that's something that, yeah, I've always had in mind and took pride in is that not fucking up shots because I know how much the guys are working hard. It's like, I, I can't do that to them. Yeah. But it's a lot of, it's a lot to bear on you. Like, yeah, and, I don't know. It's and, a lot of responsibility. And that's why as a filmer, sometimes I went the the less creative route on certain shots because as you said, there's way less risk of fucking up a shot on a tripod versus doing a follow cam with a glide cam. So it's like a balance of, okay, this guy's doing something really that he might only get once. So maybe I'll go with the tripod and like be safe with it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a huge consideration and like a smart one. A lot of times, like obviously you want him to have the coolest angle you can, but like if it's, yeah, it's a risk reward thing that sometimes isn't worth it unless you're pay <laughs> well unless yeah that's the ultimate trust between filmer and skier yeah and they have a good you always you as you i'm sure know like you develop like a strong bond with these get with you went it's just like it's like a it's a soul bond that you've like just really been through so much together i feel like like you were talking about vince like you who we've both filmed with and I'm sure you guys have these memories, like certain nights and stuff with that'll just are like seared into your brains for life, I'm sure. Yeah, well, something that's something that that uh, happened a lot with me in the relationships I had filming is I was a coach slash motivator slash uh, idea pitcher where it's really kind of a both way street of saying, hey, I think you can do this or just like it's a lot of back and forth of um, reflecting on what we're trying and trying to help each other out to get the shot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, you're not, yeah. I always say the same thing. You're not just a cameraman. You're like, you're a caddy and a shoveler and a driver and a, a mentor and a psychologist. And a lot of times you're saying stuff or doing stuff, whether it's like building the lip or recommending someone go faster or something that could get your really good friend. Very, very hurt, which is really heavy to heavy to take, but it's, it's stuff that a lot of times goes unrecognized. Like you, there's definitely things I'm like, I can guarantee right now, just knowing the filming you've done, you've said something that has like kept one of your homies safe. You've made some kind of recommendation as a filmer that guaranteed they were going to do something 
that was maybe sketchy or was going to like, you know, they were going to like come up short on a gap or something, not, not even knowing anything in particular, but I'm sure this scenario has happened where you made, where you said something and they ended up maybe doing something slightly different and they would have gotten super injured if not. And that's just like the day that's like every day with being a filmer and a, an athlete. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of outside perspective because when you're trying your trick, you're really focusing on, you maybe lack context. Whereas a filmer, you see everything, you see the in-run, you see the the landing, you see, and you're really, you're not pissed, you're not tired, you're just seeing everything for what it is. So a lot of time, how I see it is, I recommend maybe a 1% change, like you said, in terms of speed, of the lip, of how you throw your rotation. And then, yeah, I try to be humble and just say, hey, do you think that could help? And yeah, a lot of times it ends up helping. So that's a nice... um, Plus, when you get the session done and you know that you've helped along the way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That reminds me, like, like trying that backflip to pillar, like, which is, I feel like, one of the clips that sometimes people remember of mine. I think, like, Jake always is, like, that whole season, it was tough for Jake because there was times where he was, like, one, to tell me not to try it. He, like, wants to let you push yourself to your limit but stop you from pushing yourself past it. So when you're filming those real skis, it's very easy to ski outside your limits. That that feature in particular, I actually partially tore my Achilles and skied the rest of the season with a partially torn Achilles. And I also got stitches in my elbow, like third hit into those backflips. And I duct taped my elbow and I had to go get stitches after, which I had for like the next two weeks of filming. And so like Jake is always that feature in particular. Jake was telling me like, what do I do? do I, like he was like, I wanted to tell you not to try that. But also he was like, I thought maybe you could do it. And so like, when do you, when do you, as the filmer, when is it your responsibility to like step in? And when is it, when is it like a disservice to step in? And like, I don't know, it's, there's no right answer. Like, but you, I'm sure it sounded like he would feel really responsible if I had gotten seriously injured. Um, Cause it's a, uh, there's a lot of thing going on in that shot is that one, you really need a vision to see that spot because there's an angle of that shot where you see all around and it's just an empty place. It's rubbles and you really need one, a vision to see something doable there. But also uh, you did a, a little cut that's on YouTube where you see all the tries you've did or at least a lot of them. And there, there's the whole point in X Games that you want to try your best, but also if you hurt yourself, then there's no good to it because you won't be able to do the rest of your video. And man, there's shots where you kind of lose br- your breath and you kind of, l- it looks like you're choking yeah. almost. Uh, how do you stay, like when for you was the point or how do you go about it mentally in an urban battle of saying, do I stop and move on to another project, another spot, you know, or do I keep trying? Is it worth it? That's, uh, that's a good question. Usually it's like, it depends on the year too, I guess. Like this year, a lot of my clips were like, ah, that was pretty good. <laughs> we can be done. This is dangerous. Uh, or, or like, but with, when you're really stoked on something, I think it's you, at least for me personally, it's, you end up going harder and wanting to be more of a perfectionist uh, and everyone's different. Some people are much more perfectionist than others, but with that spot, Man, I don't even remember that whole day. It was such a blur. I probably had a concussion, honestly. I I just got so... There's there's all these days where you don't... You may have gotten concussions that you... That's a whole other conversation. Hitting your head is really scary. People should wear their helmets. But uh, 
that whole day was such a blur for me just because of the intensity and, and everything. But that season, obviously, was just trying to go as hard as I possibly could. And a lot of times it was, a lot of times I would get the clip and like that actually, I, I stopped, I got like broke off on that and stopped hitting it. And we settled on the shot that you see, uh, like the, the backflip to pillar stall that you see was, we watched it and I wanted to get it better. And then, uh, obviously I took a bunch of gnarly falls and eventually had to stop. I don't know how you, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of how you decide when to stop. Obviously if you get the clip really good, you're going to stop. But sometimes if you're being too much of a perfectionist, you might just keep going and going and going. And those times are times where you rely on your filmer to pull the plug for you and be like, dude, you're going to get hurt. You got it really good. Um, or you go back a second day or a third day and keep going until you do get it. Uh, it so, you know, the shots where the shots where there's like where you can get it and then get it better are the kind of shots where it can be tricky. Usually if it's a clip where you're just trying to get to the end of the rail or something, there's no gray area. You either get it or you don't, but something like that where you can be nitpicky about it. You can get yourself into trouble of trying something that you don't need to try anymore. Uh, and that's where you got to thank your filmer where you guys come in and hopefully just yeah. like, dude, you got a really good shot. You're going to get hurt. Stop. Or, or you do get hurt and you have to stop. Those are, I think that's the only way, right? You either, the only options are get it perfect. Like you want it, have someone tell you to stop or have to stop because you get kicked out or you get hurt. I think those are, yeah. those are the only options. Well, I think that's a, one of the rare times I chime in as a filmer is um, because the perfect shot and the perfect way of doing your trick and landing it rarely happens. A lot of times it's you, you deal with what you get. Um, you got to settle for the shot you get. And that's something as a filmer of, as I was saying, you guys are tired, you're, you're angry maybe, you're emotional. And it's as a filmer to say, hey, that one was good enough. Like we got, we could settle on it. It's well, it's not, we could settle on it. It's just maybe sometime chiming in and say, Hey, we can stop. It's good enough. Yeah. Which is so appreciated from the athlete standpoint. But even then I'd say half the clips in that real ski edit, we went home those days and I was super, super bummed. Really? Uh, just cause yeah, just cause I wanted it like a little, like off the top of my head, uh, the eight kink to pad to 180 was bummed. The cork seven to like roof to 180 was super bummed. Um, there's a couple clips that didn't even go in that I was super bummed. You, Tell you me. Had, what, what's up? Tell me, well, cause you were going between a lot of shots. Tell me either the, the kink rail to pad or the cork seven to 180. What were you bummed about? Cause that's always something that I like to, to uh, go back and forth with the skiers is like, As someone who wasn't at the spot and who added the trick in mind, I'm looking at those and I'm like, oh, those are so dope. Those are so perfect. Uh, so the the eight kink to little pad to 180, I come off like a little bit. It's funny. I haven't watched it in, in so long and I can pull it up in my head perfectly now. I remember, I remember reviewing it with Jake and him being like, it's good enough. But I come off a little more outside the left side of the rail than I want to. I wanted to be like pretty much, obviously I had to come off a little bit to the left to get onto the pad, but 
I come off a little mm. earlier and a little more left than I wanted to. And my arms, if I remember correctly, kind of come up like a little bit. And they kind of have to. But um, being that it's a pad that you could accidentally come off onto the side of very easily, I was worried that it looked unintentional. Like, you know, sometimes when people hit like a some kind of multi-kink rail and they do like a 450 off the last flat and don't and it's over the last down. And sometimes you're like, oh, were they coming off? And they just hucked the spin off of it. I was worried it kind of had that kind of potential where it's like you couldn't tell that the pad was on per. You, you couldn't slide that whole rail. Like if you did, it would come. It would look really bad because the pad is like a little bit in the way of the last down. But I was worried that it wouldn't be. You wouldn't be able to tell. And I, so I wanted it to be like very, very perfect. Um, so I was bummed about that. We went back the next day actually and got kicked out immediately. And I had just taken like 12 ibuprofen and 12 Tylenol for my Achilles tendon, which was like partially ruptured, like I mentioned. And so I tried to like throw out, throw it all up. Cause I was like, this isn't worth my liver. Mm. <laughs> I like drank like a huge coffee and took all this Tylenol and ibuprofen. And then we immediately got kicked out and I was like, Ooh, like this is going to take like a lot of life off my liver. I need to get it out of me. <laughs> um, but so that was, anyway, sorry, I'm going off on all these tangents. That's really a dope behind the scenes. And it, it gives a lot of context <laughs> as to something that people might not even think about. But yeah, you're getting beat up spot after spot. And then you need to use some modern medicine to keep you uh, going. <laughs> yeah. Well, people have been like, why didn't you just take like Vicodin or something? I was like, oh, it's a slippery slope. But then the Cork 7, um, I didn't get the grab very well. Like, I don't remember it even... I think I was trying mute and blunt and I can't remember which one we ended up using blunt in the video. It was blunt. Yeah. And the blunt is like, I either tindy it really bad or like, I like barely brush my hand on the tip. I can't remember which one we, which one we ended up going with. You're, but, you're grabbing uh, it, but like, um, not on the tip. You're maybe, uh, uh, three, four inches from the tip. Yeah. That's especially today. That probably didn't age very well. <laughs> well, it's still But, uh, a cork seven blunt to what is it like a 30 feet drop to a roof and the there you didn't put any landing on that roof. It's like dead flat. Like that's something yeah, that, that on you guys, that's the thing. You guys are so good and have done it for so long that you have such high expectations for what you do. Yeah, there was one where I did get perfect cap. Um, but I didn't grab it for very long. It was like very short. And so it's funny. We like had a debate, like, should we do the one that a cap, but it's really short. Or should we do the one where I'm like not quite cap, but hold it for like a little longer? Uh, but I just remember being super bummed with that one too. But my legs, that impact was so intense. And it was like the snow on the roof was compressing. And we didn't have another person filming these real skis is tough because we didn't, we didn't have another person for that. So I was actually skiing down this like long suburban road and I had to like ski through like a stop sign where there was like sometimes cars coming through and like, I was calling Jake on my cell phone to tell him drop. It was like such a long hike. Um, and it was get, so I was like, my body was like so exhausted and my legs were just getting so worked from that impact. And I just wanted to get perfect cat blunt and hold it for like a reasonable amount of time. And so we got a few different ones that kind of worked. And then, and I also wanted to do cork nine to 180, like Dale does in his, uh, in that contest video that he won a hundred grand. I wanted to do cork nine. And then I was just, I don't know. So that was another one where I was like super bummed and we went home and then, you know, woke up the next morning and Jake was like, just, just watch the clip. 
And I was like, all right, it's fine. It's good. It's not perfect. It's a hard thing when you do those battles where the more you try that trick, the more you're you're less likely to get it because your legs are tired. But at the same time, you yep. need a couple tries to, to get it better and better. Yeah. And plus, as you said, hiking up that old road must have been tiring. I had that same exact thing with Belmar this season with when he would have to hike up a mountain or like a small hill. And same thing. He would call me on my cell phone saying, okay, drop. That's <laughs> no like, way. That's hilarious. Yeah. And that's like, forget about the rail. Forget about trying the trick. It's like, I don't know like how many meters he hiked up that day, but just that in itself is like the craziest workout. Yeah. And then yeah, you're, it's like an extreme workout, but then you're also doing something that's very, very dangerous and difficult. I can't wait to see what you guys are putting together. I'm a huge Belmar fan. That's going to be sick, I'm sure. I'm stoked on what we've got going. It's nothing uh, It's nothing too revolutionary, but I'm stoked to be doing this with him. It's uh, It's fun times. Yeah, I love to hear it. I, I thought Urban was going to like slowly start to die off. I thought we were going to be like the only Urban generation, but it's so cool to be to be getting older and seeing all of these other guys take the reins and do all this new cool stuff. And even guys like Belmar, who is like, has done like some legendary urban and then obviously was like super successful contest guy to like see that, like the, I can't call Belmar an old guy cause he is not, he'll always be like young, crazy guy to me, but someone who has been around the block and done it all, I think is a better way to put it to hear that he's back in the streets doing stuff fires me up yeah the same for me like when he told me he was in this year i was like okay let's go i'm stoked yeah that's sick i have oh. i have another spot in mind that from your real ski because there's two things in your real ski that that made it for me there's on one side really long and hard rails to get that are all-time rails that you know yeah just rails that are insanely hard and then the, the other half is like really creative funky uh, stuff that you really need a vision to see yourself doing. Like there's a rooftop that you g- jump onto and then you slide the roof tiles. And that's something really creative. And also something that I give you a lot of props for is seeing that building and being like, yeah, that's what we'll do. Thank you. That's actually, yeah, that's kind of a sleeper clip in there that I was always really proud of. Uh, cause sometimes I do struggle to find creative features. Uh, and so I'm stoked that you're stoked on that because when we found that uh, and it worked out, I was definitely really hyped on the clip and, and it was uh, the tiles kept breaking because they were made of like some kind of clay and there was nails underneath that were getting exposed. So we had to like hand place like broken shards of stuff over the nails so that I wouldn't hook on them. (laughs) It ended up being like, it wasn't super difficult to do, but it was kind of like intense and scary with the, how many tiles did we break this time? Uh, but it obviously ended up being fine. Yeah, and then there's another on the creative side. It looks like it maybe a children playground where you do a underslide to a blind switch up underslide. And again, that's something maybe Will Wesson style that you know any underslide makes me think of Will Wesson. But how was that like? Like seeing that feature hitting it, and maybe was it a battle or something easy to get? Uh, it was somewhere in between the two. Um, that's another one that I'm also glad to hear that you enjoyed. Cause yeah, between like being like a slate elbow, it was just, it worked perfectly. It was like the perfect feature to do it. But I looked at it and was like, not sure if it would work. And it ended up, 
ended up being one of my favorite clips from that, uh, despite being like not a huge feature. Um, but it was kind of intense because it's actually smaller than it looks, and there's a lot to get tangled in. And as you could imagine, like there's not like a good way to go about trying it for the first time. And you're just kind of like flying into this thing and you need to like sneak your tails in. And anytime the tails didn't go in, it was like kind of scary. But I think, I guess ultimately it only ended up taking like, as far as urban rail goes, urban rails go, it only took maybe like 20 or 30 tries. So actually that's like nothing as far as urban rails go. But it was like, it was a little intense still. Uh, I remember me and Kai Crapella, we were both filming ours the same year and we were both in Utah together. We helped each other film a lot of spots for each other because help was hard to get. And I remember New Year's, actually. Neither of us went out for New Year's. Uh, New Year's Eve, I was helping him winch into uh, this redirect wall ride that he did. I remember just being like, oh, cool, it's midnight. All right, ready, drop, okay, like winching him in. And then the next morning, we woke up crazy early, and he helped me uh, with this lip two disaster I did on this down rail. Um, but anyway, I remember, so we were like linking up all the time and talking and I remember being in a bar with him after the night after I did that, uh, that underslide feature that you were talking about and trying to describe it to him. And then I showed him a picture on my phone that I took of it. And it's just this little, you know, there's no wide angle. It's just like this crappy photo in this playground. And he just laughed at me. It was like, that looks really dumb. And, and it did look really dumb. And then he still, he mentioned it this year when I talked to him. He always mentions it, that he saw the clip and was like, that was the coolest thing ever. I'm so sorry. I thought it looked dumb. But I was like, no, it, it totally did look dumb. Uh, but sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's like the vision is, sometimes it's the finding the spot or coming up with the idea that's the hard part, uh, which is why creativity in, in urban skiing is like, cool that it's being that it's taken so seriously and is such an important part of it because it's not always about being the best skier sometimes it's about having the best vision i totally agree with that and that's something that i was talking to pay ben is uh the bunch is the bunch as a crew are famous for that of well at least in my mind is finding spots that as you said for that playground stuff is you might look at it and for a lot of skiers they might look at it and not even think a thing but they have a vision of a certain trick, a certain way of doing it and filming it. And as a street skier, there's always that thing of you don't know if it's doable unless you don't know if it's doable until you do it because it's not a standard 270 on. It's something funky that you've never done. So you might have that vision, but you really need a lot of self-belief, I guess, and vision to see it through. Yeah, it's a cool aspect that doesn't you don't see in other parts of skiing sometimes. So it's cool that, yeah, it's definitely a huge part of urban. And one gnarly thing that I never realized about that um, underside feature is that right underneath your foot, there are a lot of different metal separation things. I don't know how you would call them, but there's like 20 of them. So that's, I never noticed that until now of watching it 20 times. But if you don't pop If you pop too much, then you get tangled on the upper rail. And if you don't pop just a, a bit less, then you get you get screwed in those. Yeah, I was really scared about that too. Um, it never ended up being an issue. I don't think I ever had a ski tip go in there, but I was very, very scared of that too. That was the first thing I saw. 
was like, oh no, <laughs> if I was worried I was going to like blow my knee or something, get entangled up in one of those, but it ended up being okay. Yeah. And then your part is, you know, crazy shots after crazy shots. You, you do a 370, 370, whoa, a 360 switch up, 360 switch up, 270 out on a gnarly rail. You do a lot of crazy kink rails of like double elbows. But one that stands out to me is that, is it a bridge? It's not clear what it is. It's like a, it's a up flat down rail, but it, what is yeah. it exactly? Yeah, man, you are hitting, you're hitting all of my favorite, you're hitting all of my favorite clips from the video. Uh, I'm stuck. Cause that's actually my personal favorite clip in, in the edit. You do the up part of the rail gap, the whole flat part doing a under flip, let's say, and then land on, on the down and stomp it to switch. And that's something so nice about that shot. Like there's a side angle with the sunset, I think maybe sunrise or anyway, you see the sun and then the, the real yeah. shot, it's big, it's stomped. It's something that takes so much commitment, speed, everything. It's crazy. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Everyone was hyped on the backflip to pillar, which I get cause it's kind of like crazy looking, but I, that was the, the flip up. I'd always wanted to do the first urban flip up. I don't think anyone's done one or had done one. Uh, so I like we, that whole season we were looking for something to do it on. And that's a, it's actually at like a, a mountain bike park. And it's like, I think there's like a rhythm section. You can like bike under it or bike over it and like air over it. And snowboarders, snowboarders have hit it before. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't find, that's not like a, an original spot. Uh, I just, I was look. it was a, trying to find the right spot for the trick basically. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just like a random bridge. Uh, and that one was a struggle. And actually that wasn't the, that was another one that I had to like walk away from because I spent the whole day before. So that raw edit of all the falls actually doesn't have Jake's doesn't have Jake didn't film. That was the one clip or one of a couple clips that Jake didn't film. We filmed all of December and we were so tired and I thought my Achilles was going to snap. It was in so much pain and we got like these last couple clips and then broke off to go home for Christmas to take a week off. I like need to heal. We agreed that like it would be healthy for us to take a week off. And with my, like my Achilles feeling worse and worse every day, it was like, we should take a few days off. And I drove the traveling circus van, which the guys let me borrow. Thankfully for all this, I drove it from Oregon all the way back to Vermont for Christmas. It took me like three or four days of straight driving. Dude, that's not a vacation. No, it sucked. It was miserable. I did a lot of it alone in the snow. I picked up Will Weston in Chicago. It was like such a nightmare. You drove from Oregon to Vermont alone? Uh, to Chicago alone and then with Will Wesson the rest of the way. So like most of the way alone. <laughs> That's gnarly. Like I've done that with ABM from Montreal to Mount Hood. It's one gnarly drive. Like it's long. Yeah. It's not fun. Um, but I don't, yeah, it was like no getting a plane ticket. And I just, I don't know why I decided to drive, but I did. Um, but then even worse, I got home and two days late. I was, I got home like Christmas Eve. The next day was Christmas. And then I think the day after Salt Lake city got like a foot of snow. And I had been home for like two days, less time than I had been driving across the country. And, oh, you know what? The reason I had to drive home was because tell a friend tour was on the East coast. And I prompt, they said I could use 
the van if I promised to end up and drive it across the country to the East Coast after. And we thought we were going to end up in Minnesota. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just drive from Minnesota home. Turns out it went the opposite direction and we're in Oregon. And I had to get it to Andy in New York in like two or three days. So we broke off for Christmas and I drove it all the way to New York for him because they let me borrow it. It was a, it was a fair trade. But then was home for two days and it snowed over a foot in Salt Lake City. And I really wanted to do that flip up rail. So after all that driving and needing a break, I bought an immediate plane ticket for the next day after the day after Christmas. Like I spent like $800 on a one-way ticket. I bought it with like a few hours notice and was like, mom, I'm sorry. I have to leave. You have to take me to the airport. I'll see you. At, like I'll see the whole, my whole family was home. Like my sisters haven't seen him forever. My dad and was just like, all right, I got, I, I got to leave. Sorry. I got to go to Salt Lake. It snowed a foot and there's a chance I could hit this rail. And then yeah, spent a bunch of money on that. Jake was home for Christmas and was like, dude, I need like, I need a couple days. Like, can you find someone else? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I like, we agreed that you could have this time, uh, that we would have this time off. I just bought this ticket on a whim, had my buddy Henny, who was like my oldest friend, like any, if you ever seen a clip of me in my teenage years, it's probably from him, um, called him up and he agreed to film it. And so like hired him and, or hired, like he like, I threw him like a little bit of money. Thankfully he was willing to do it like the day after Christmas and had like Jeremiah Paquette, who is the saga TM and just a good friend of mine too. Uh, he came and just, there's like a bunch of other people. I'm like spacing. It was such a blur, but had him run winch. And I don't know, we all like rallied and before the snow melted, like banged it out and ended up being like between like paying my homies and like buying pizza and beer at the spot for him and buying the plane ticket. Uh, and it ended up being like $1,200 I spent on that shot. Um, but it was like, so worth it. I was like super down. Uh, but that spot ended up being like such a hustle, but I think it's, I think it's like my favorite, it's my favorite trick in that edit for sure. Uh, just cause I've always wanted to do the flip up and we, we found another spot to do it before that. And we tried to get permission and the guy was like, nah, I can't let you hit this. Sorry. And we weren't going to be able to hit it without permission. So I was super bummed and was like, oh, this is the one trick, like a flip up in my real ski. Like the real ski was like a chance for me to be like, what are all my bucket list tricks? I'm doing them. And then I was like, so I was really hyped to make that one work. It was just like such a, such a hustle to make it happen though. It's really dope to hear the, the backstory. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hopefully I'm not ranting too much. I like, when you like bring these things up, all these memories are flooding back and I, I go off on a tangent, hopefully not too long. Dude, I think that's what I love. And I think that's what people love hearing in podcast is the whole story behind it and having, uh, you know, the backstory that no one knows. Like looking at the shot, we appreciate the pure skiing, but it's so dope to see your dedication and your vision of saying, okay, hey, mom and dad, I'll be going off. I love you, but I'm sorry. And That's something that I was talking to uh, Nick Martini also was the, the whole vibe of uh, them, the step crew, Cam, Nick, and all those guys being like, we were talking about the whole clash of like what your parents think you're doing or, or do they even have a clue of what you're doing, right? And that's something funny where I guess your mom might have been like, oh, okay, he's going to do some crazy stunts, but like she, she, she doesn't have a clue of like your bucket list of flip on a flip off a rail and everything. She's just like, okay, uh, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely when I was younger, like my parents have been so supportive, uh, man, I'm like so grateful for 
for all the all the support they gave me. But yeah, sometimes sometimes it was definitely just like just please wear a helmet. <laughs> like she knew it was gonna be something wild, but didn't she sometimes probably didn't want to know the details. I don't know. Oh, that and I forgot to mention, yeah, I was saying I left that was another one I left bummed because I spent the whole first day trying Misty 630 switch up and it wasn't it was too small. The feature, despite being pretty big, like wasn't big enough to do that. And then I settled on like the like the like you said, like the underflip style. But actually I should post them on my Instagram at some point. There's a bunch of attempts where I tried like a under like a full underflip with like not just like a back switch up as well. Like I tried to do like you know, like a like a flare backflip. I don't even know what to call it, I guess. But I tried to basically do the same thing with a 180 in it uh, and was really close on a few hits and have some cool clips of me falling trying it. But that was another one that got away and we we settled for like the straight over Lincoln style one, which I was really hyped on still too. Um, the Misty you had in mind makes me think of Austin Torvinan's Super Unknown back in the days. Is it something like that? Yeah. Yeah, exact. I was trying the exact same trick. Then I spent a whole day trying it. Uh, th that yeah, that clip of him is insane, dude. Uh, he helped us film our second real ski actually, which is really cool. He's doing well. He's back in uh, in Minnesota, but uh, that was definitely the inspiration for it. That definitely broke the internet back in the days. Oh yeah, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty early on uh, viral ski clip for sure. I like still remember that one for sure. One thing that really stood out to me. Uh, having followed you your whole career uh, when you did that X Games video was you had done it for so long like you weren't 17 anymore you were like an adult like able to relate and know that some things might be dangerous and like gauging the risk there's a lot of things in that that you might have hurt yourself really like like that underflip thing is there's consequences maybe if you fuck it up and you've had a lot of times people start uh, thinking about the injuries and stuff when they get one. And the one, I don't know if you've had any other gnarly ones, but the one I have in mind is the one with your in your level one trip back in the days where you did a 630 on, a six on disaster, and you completely destroyed your knee. Does that, yeah. <laughs> does that still come into your mind sometimes when you're skiing or you kind of forget about it like it's uh, in the past? Uh. It definitely does. There was there was a feature when I was with Tom and Tucker this year that uh, I was worried about the same thing and actually brought that up. It was like, this would be a good... I was like, let's make sure we do this because this is the rail I would break my kneecap again on. Uh, and so I'm like, clearly, like I wouldn't bring it up if it was like still bothered me. Like I think I'm able to see it pretty objectively, but I think part of urban skiing is like if you want to urban ski for a long time, not just for a couple of years, I think you have to be really comfortable with like trying to figure out how you're going to get hurt and then figuring out what you can do to make sure that doesn't happen. It, it doesn't bother me anymore. My knee is definitely not the same and I wear knee pads when I ski now. So clearly, uh, clearly it's still somewhat present in my mind, but uh, I would say if anything, it drove me, it drove me to ski harder than it did. It was like a career defining moment of like, will this be the end of my ski career? Or will this be like the, the point where I take it one step further? Uh, and I think, I think a lot of stuff I did after I hurt my injury, after I hurt my knee, uh, would, would say that I, 
I was able to like get over it and, and push hard. Um, but yeah, man, to hit urban for as long as like some of these guys and myself included, maybe have, you gotta be smart and you have to like, think about the really bad stuff. You have to like, like sometimes you might be like, Oh, I don't even want to think about that, but you need, like I got into skydiving, uh, like a handful of years ago. And like a lot of skydivers will watch parachute malfunction videos on YouTube and it's like, oh, why would you watch people? Like, that's terrifying. Why would you watch that? And it's like, you got to think about that kind of stuff. Like, it's going to help prepare you. And like, like I was saying, like filming stuff with Tucker, who's like, hasn't been hitting urban quite as long as us, uh, is always good to have, like, we would, I would like sometimes have probably uncomfortable conversations where we would talk about like, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Okay, well, can we put snow there so that can't happen? And so mm-hmm. as long as it's productive, as long as it's constructive, I guess, I think it's good to keep that stuff in mind, but then obviously don't let it, don't let the fear creep back in as well. That's something with your injury, like that's a crazy enough injury for some people to say, okay, I'm done with skiing. I'm going back to school or I'm done with urban skiing. I'm going to do some mellow backcountry stuff. Well, it, not mellow, but you know, heart maybe easier on the body. It's crazy to see that you've kept going after that for so many years. Like, Thank was you. there a point in there? Because <laughs> well, it might have been like a, what, six months to a year of like rehab? Yep. Probably six months of not skiing and then another six months of rehabbing to be 100%. Was there a point in there where you were like, okay, am I done with skiing? Yeah, there was a lot of points. Um, I guess one noteworthy one that people might not know. If you watch Traveling Circus, Uh, the first time I skied again, like skied hard, like was given clearance to like ski park was during the whole traveling circus episode where we go to New Zealand. Uh, and if you watch that episode, you know, after having heard me talk about it or without having heard me talk about it, you, it would just look like another fun trip. You know, it's just an un- another fun traveling circus episode, but behind the scenes in that episode, I was like in the van, like like almost crying in tears because I was in so much pain. It was the first time I was like trying to ski hard again. And there's a couple clips of me like skiing these lines. <clears throat> I think I do like, like a six off a rail and then do like a switch five to a rodeo or something. I do a couple like cork nines and stuff. And then just after that was filmed, I was in so much pain being back in on snow again. I thought, Not even, not from the pain, but from the knowledge that, or from the thinking that this is what skiing was going to feel like for the rest of my life. And that I was, I couldn't have fun. It wasn't fun. Like it was so painful that I was not going to be able to enjoy skiing and thinking that that was just, my PT had cleared me. So I thought that that meant that it shouldn't hurt, which wasn't the case at all. He just meant that I wasn't going to make it worse. But in my head, I was like, this is what skiing is now for me. It's being in extreme pain. I just would ski a couple laps and then go like break off. They'd be like, where did LJ go? And I just go back to the RV and just be like breaking down, just like skiing's done. Like I went through all this rehab and worked my butt off. I was like so excited to go down there and was just like, I'll never ski again. Like I can't ski like this. This sucks. And that whole trip, the whole video is like us like laughing and having fun and stuff. But I was like in a real bad place. Um, And I just wasn't fully healed yet. And I hadn't built up the muscles enough. And I went back and worked with my physical therapist and was so, so strong when the winter started that next year and had a great season, had like one of my best years. And there was other hard moments along the way too. Obviously the close, like right after the injury was really tough too. Um, 
but honestly the hardest part besides maybe the initial crash was being was being back on snow for the first time and being so optimistic and excited and here I am and then thinking that I was that it wasn't going to be the same I don't know it was really rough and eventually the knee get got better and better and now I does it still hurt not no it it's it's different it doesn't work quite the same I can't bend as much as it once did um but it doesn't it never hurts me ever really it doesn't bother me ever ever um I have to move it all the time when I sleep I have to sleep in a position where I can while I'm asleep I'll like subconsciously straighten and bend my leg because I have like I get tendonitis or something because my kneecap is physically larger than it was and so the tendons like aren't long enough or something and so it causes like this really weird pain in that way but to like do physical activity like skiing doesn't hurt it at all anymore which is such a blessing i'm very grateful lj there's a ton of stuff that i want to talk to you about between your level one segments meatheads poor boys traveling circus but we've gone on for an hour 50 so i think i'll stop you there and and uh let you go on But I definitely would love to do a party with you at some point and talk about more stuff that you've done. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, this has been so awesome reminiscing uh, and bringing back up old memories and stuff I haven't thought about in so long. And super grateful for you to to have me on. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of this podcast and it's been, it's been fun chatting. Hopefully this has been enjoyable. Yeah, well, likewise, I've been a fan of you uh, since forever. Like I was telling you before the podcast, it, I have so much respect for you because I grew up watching ski movies and watching your parts. Like you were getting us hyped up to go film Urban. And what, 14 years later, I'm still hyped up to see what you're cooking this winter. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of luck involved there, I guess. <laughs> But I, I love to hear that. Thank you. This is, uh, I'm getting down to it, man. So I don't know how much more you'll see of me. Uh, but you'll definitely see some, hopefully some some clips I'm pretty stoked on, at least this next year at the very least. <laughs> nice. Um, last thing I would have for you is that I ask people on Instagram if they have special questions for you. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Luke O'Brien asks, what part was your favorite to make? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I was always, <clears throat> I was always kind of had my hand in multiple cookie jars or something. So I was always, I was always filming multiple parts with different people, different years. Uh, and so I always made like season edits of my own where I put all of my favorite clips together. Um, but I think, I think one of my best years was probably, uh, 2010, 2011, where I filmed with poor boys for grand bazaar, but I also filmed with meatheads that year for prime cut. It was the year that whale tails thing. Um, so those two segments are like two of the ones that I'm most proud of or enjoy the most i think that was kind of the height of my just for pure ability my ski career and i made like a 2010 2011 like made like a 20 minute cut or something or maybe two 10 minute videos uh that i think are some of my favorite most proud of segments um but then maybe my real ski my first real ski too uh i don't know if it's my favorite but it's one that i worked really hard on so probably probably those two Yeah, you're, you have a lot of great segments with every company that I mentioned, but I think it happened to me this fall where a friend of mine that is not familiar with urban skiing was telling me like, hey, show me like the best urban skiing there is, like if you had to show me what it is. And I think I was showing him your real ski and maybe like Clayton Villa's mutiny segment, but like it's 
it's as good as it gets really your real ski thank you i like as i said i i um, it's i worked hard enough that i always appreciate hearing that <laughs> congrats again on that because it's it's a it's a crazy segment um yeah i'll move on to the other question <laughs> the, the the instagram name is in french salut moi c'est raf which means hi this is raf um asks what is the stupidest trick you've ever tried oh man however you define stupid oh man that is i'm looking back through a long like i'm trying to think through all the years the stupidest things i've tried i'm trying to think of stuff that didn't work out probably the backflip to pillar man i know it ended up working out but like that wasn't the initial idea for it i initially was just gonna try to like redirect into the front of the pillar And then mm. went too big on one and landed on top of it. And then was like, and then like, they were like, oh, don't try that. That's a bad idea. I think it was really lucky that it worked out. And Jake Doan was there and helped me film that. And the jump was too poppy, but it needed to be poppy to land on top of it. But he was arguing that we should make it less poppy and I should just pop really hard to get on top of it. But if he hadn't done that, I would have gotten like, there was definitely the potential to like slip out and like slam with my back into the like side of the pillar and then just eat it. So yeah, even though that one worked out, I think that was kind of a bad idea or, or the six thirty where I broke my kneecap. Yeah. I guess that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Like you had a good enough shot of a four fifty on pretzel. And that was really like the time of where people were pushing it. Because when I saw the shot of you trying a six thirty on, I was like, Oh my god! Okay, he's going uh, really all in. Like 450 on pretzel is not enough. Okay. Well, Tom, Tom had just done. So that's actually that's probably the stupidest thing. Yeah, because I, it wasn't successful and was such a horrible injury. But uh, Tom had just done a 630 onto this down ledge, and I just heard about it and hadn't seen the shot, but knew he did it. So I was like, "All right, I got to do 630." That was <laughs> a stupid decision, but I don't, I don't, not one to have regrets. So it is what it is. <laughs> Um, next up, maxbailey.ca asks, are you a nostalgic person at all? Do you hold on to gear from the past? Oh uh, yeah, I know. I know Max. We go, we go like way, way back. Uh, good to hear from you, Max. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like to be nostalgic, but I definitely am. Uh, and I mean, that's why like all this reminiscing has been so fun. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I just, There's been so many, so many intense moments and trips and, and fun, fun things I've gotten to do that I'm very grateful for that it's hard not to be nostalgic. Uh, even, even those times back at Smugs, which is my home mountain, like super nostalgic of, uh, all my older friends, like, like Henny and John Fay and these other guys that, uh, you know, dragging me around in their car so I could ski more places. Uh, definitely a nostalgic guy. RPB doesn't have a question. He just says, just tell him that I love this photo and it's hanging in my office talking about the whale photo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dope. Just like we were talking about. I, re I really, really appreciate that. I think people sometimes worry when random kids or be like, oh, you're, I loved your real ski. You're like, I have that photo. Like, I hope I'm not annoying you. It's like, no, I, it validates everything that I've worked so hard to do. Like, Super, super grateful to hear that. Thanks for thanks for having that poster hung up. Uh, it was a really memorable day, so appreciate it. Uh, Freddie Furl asks, what are some of your favorite shots you've ever gotten? There's a long list of that. That's a tough one for sure. I think, uh, 
without even thinking about it, one that just randomly jumped into my head out of nowhere um, was this one of the year I broke my kneecap filming with traveling circus in Europe. I did a, on an up flat down, I did a front swap to back three swap to Pretz two. And that was one, uh, especially at the time was, it felt like very, very, uh, it felt pretty progressive and I, and it was really hard to get and it almost didn't happen. It was getting dark and looking back now, it's definitely one of, one of the more technical things I've ever done and pretty proud of that one. I don't, that just kind of randomly pulling that out of my head, but I really pretty proud of that one. Dude, I was thinking about the same shot. Like I remember <laughs> seeing that episode, like we were filming street at that time, trying to push ourselves and we saw that shot and we were just like, Oh my God, that guy is just so good. Like, switch up front switch up to back 360 switch up and then where you land you're at the end of that rail and you pull out the pretzel so quickly we were like we were shook <laughs> thank you yeah i feel like we have it seems like we have pretty similar taste on uh on like the skiing that we've watched or enjoyed so uh yeah love to hear that that was a that was a wild one for me did it take like a hundred tries Yeah, it was a it was a battle for sure. To the point, like I said, it was starting to get. It was really dark. I spent a ton of time. I actually did like the post production, like the you the, you can tell the clip isn't very like the the video isn't hard to. It's not very clean. It's because I spent like a ton of time trying to brighten it properly, uh, and I'm not the guy to do it. But uh, I was like being very nitpicky about it because I was so hyped on it. But it was just about to be no more light, and I was getting so close. And thankfully, it rode away from the one. Dope. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy shot. You should post it back up on Instagram to show uh, like the younger generation might have might not have seen it, but yeah, that shot is super dope. Yeah, that dude, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> How crazy is that? That's it for the Instagram questions. Thanks a lot for coming in. I really appreciate it and um hope you have a great end of your season. Yeah, thanks so much once again for having me. Uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a good end to your season as well. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again soon. Cheers, man. So this is it for episode 15. It was really good chatting with LJ. And I'm really looking forward to do another episode about his whole career. Big thank you to this episode sponsors, Axis Board Shop, J Skis, Tree Fort Lifestyles and Planks Clothing. Peace. Peace.